Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. We're looking at verses 35 to 41. You can find that printed out on our screen as we look at the ministry of uh, our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles open, I'd like to read to you from God's Word tonight, verses 35 to 41. This is God's Word. And on that day when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already being filled up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he turned to them and he said, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, this powerful act of our Lord Jesus Christ, this miracle that displays his power, Father, we pray that we would be in awe of our Lord and Savior tonight in the word. Father, open our ears that we may hear and understand your word as it's spoken and preached to us. And may we take these truths to our heart and apply them, Father, through the work of your Holy Spirit. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back in uh, Mark's Gospel. And tonight we're concluding chapter 4. And of course, next Sunday, Luke, Pastor Luke will be back to take you through chapter 5. But uh, we're closing up Mark chapter 4 tonight with a very familiar topic, uh, dealing with fear. And uh, this is a passage that all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, even John has reference to this, although not exactly this instance, but John writes about Jesus walking out on the sea to his disciples. But each of the gospel writers included this event in their passage. It's that important. I mean, there's tons of songs that the church has written about the stormy seas and, and my boat being overwhelmed and the Lord stealing the waters and calming my heart. This is a passage that has touched many people in the church throughout the ages. And so it's our privilege to look at that tonight. And the, the outline of this passage is really very simple. I mean, if you could outline it, it would be the storm comes disciples are scared to death. They call upon Christ. He stands up. He rebukes it. Then he turns him and says, what's your problem? Why are you so afraid? And then the disciples are afraid of him. Very simple outline. That's how it goes in each of the gospel accounts. But this idea of being afraid, and especially the last part, if you saw that when we read that, that they were afraid of Christ. The disciples were that's quite amazing when you think about it for a, for a moment. I mean, to be afraid of Jesus seems to really go against everything about the message of Jesus that we hear today. I mean, that's not really the message we bring to our children when we read to them stories about our Lord. We tell them about, you know, Jesus loves you and he cares for the children. Jesus is your friend. We know that. We believe that. Jesus cares for you. These are things that are true. But here, the disciples are confronted with Christ and his power and they're afraid. 
very afraid. So what do we do with that? How do we respond to the message of Jesus right here in the scriptures that we have before us? I mean, how do we relate to our fears? And how does fear itself relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? We all struggle with fear. Some of us are almost gripped by fear in its death lock. But everyone will struggle with fear sometime in their life. Maybe it's a a circumstance in life that you're going through. That's exactly what was going on here. Trouble at the sea. Something comes up in your life and it's fearful. It's just fearful. What do you do? How do you respond to Christ in those times? Well, tonight's message is important because there's two things that we need to see about Jesus as it relates to this story about him. First, we're going to see that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is a very strong passage declaring that Jesus was fully God, fully man, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. That's what Mark has been laying out for us since chapter 1, verse 1. This is the gospel, the beginning of the Son of God, the proclamation of our King. And so we're going to see that. But we're also going to see that Jesus is all-powerful and he cares for his people. You see, Mark's mission is to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only Redeemer of God's people. And so everything up to this point and what Mark has been laying out for us in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and now in chapter 4, has been declaring and testifying that it is Jesus who has come to set us free from the wrath and curse of God and to deliver us into his kingdom. That's why he preached his uh, his sermons, starting out his ministry, saying what? In chapter 1, verse 15, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel. And when we do that, it liberates us. It sets us free. And we get brought into the family of God. Mark is showing us again that our Lord has power. And even here, we're seeing for the first time, He has power over creation. You see, he was casting out demons earlier in chapter 3. He's been healing people of their diseases and their sicknesses. But now he is showing that he has power. True power that can only belong to God himself. And Jesus is displaying that he has that power over creation. And he has power over our fears as well. And so Mark will now show us that. Fear is a powerful thing, is it not? I mean, when you're afraid, fear can help you do a lot of good things. I mean... It can be very helpful. It can motivate you, move you to do amazing things, but it can also cripple you and and, and make you ineffective when fear strangles you and you don't know what to do and you can't move forward. Well, tonight we're going to see that trials will come in life and you and I will be afraid, but we don't have to be afraid in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the message of the stormy sea. Trust Jesus even in the most treacherous and helpless of situations. I mean, those are the times when you need Him the most. When all hope seems lost. And the seas are seeming to overwhelm you and destroy you. Call out to Jesus. Our faith is to rest solely upon Jesus Christ. So that we will trust in His power even in the most treacherous and helpless of conditions that life throws our way. 
And you may be in that situation right now, beloved. You may find yourself right now in that situation. And you're wondering, will I make it through the storm? Beloved, I urge you, in Jesus Christ you will. Look to Jesus. Or if you're not in that storm right now, one day it will come. God told us that again and again throughout the gospel, didn't he? That you will suffer for my name's sake. If you are loving the Lord Jesus Christ and it's evidencing itself in your life, you are going to face trial and tribulation. It's going to come. But take courage. Why? Christ has overcome. Look to Jesus. And so tonight I've divided this passage really into three parts. And I'm using words that Mark himself uses. He, he really makes emphasis of the word great. Uh, it's that idea you see it again in your passage sometimes of great, perfectly, exceedingly. In the Greek it's the word megos where we get our word mega. And so, you know, this is of a great fear. And so really this passage divides up in three ways here. You see a mega storm, a mega calm, and a mega fear. So that's what's going on. And tonight I ask you, as we look at this, keep this in your mind. Where is your faith tonight? Where is your faith tonight? Is it placed on Jesus Christ? Or is it placed on other things? And so let's look at that first part of our passage, a mega storm. And you find this in verses 35 to 38. A mega storm. Now looking at the context we have here, that they are... uh, At the sea, the Sea of Galilee. This is the place where Jesus has been teaching. Remember earlier when we were going through the parables of the soils. This is Jesus' all day long teaching at the sea. I mean, that just blows me away. One, that Jesus taught the amount of time that he did. You know, as a pastor, uh, sometimes we, we preach once a Sunday. Some of us preach twice. I know for myself, I think Pastor Luke could attest to this. You know, when a preacher's done preaching, he's wiped out. I'm just mentally not ready to handle a lot of things. It takes so much. And yet here is our Lord Jesus Christ preaching all day long. And so by this time, he's saying, listen, it's time to get away. I need to rest. Jesus was human. This was his humanity. He needed to get away from the crowds to rest and to refuel. And so he says to him, what? Let's go to the other side. We're going to the other side. For a moment of rest, but also, if you look ahead in chapter 5, it's for a divine appointment. There is a soul that is going to be brought into the kingdom of God when he gets to that other side. The demoniac there in Gerasene, and Pastor Luke will look at that next time. So it's a dual purpose. He says, we're going to the other side. And while they're in the midst of that sea, what does the Bible say? It says that a fierce gale, a fierce storm of wind came up. Now this is very common, of course, during that time. Um, Given the geographical location, I've never been to the Sea of Galilee. I want to go to Israel and check out all the Holy Land, but I haven't been there. But from what I'm told, it's geographical location. It's below sea level. It's up next to some mountains. And so you've got the combination of a cold wind coming in and hot air blowing and meeting. And storms can just immediately rise up. And they're very fierce, very powerful. And so this would have been known. Um, Usually these storms would occur Um, during the daytime, not so much in the night. So, of course, the fishing business was often done more in the night to get away from potential storms, and that's why they're traveling. But here we have a perfect storm that has blown up on our disciples. And that is all according to divine orchestration, isn't it? 
You see, God allowed that, caused that to come about, to display our Lord's supernatural power over creation, and thus prove He is the Creator. As John the Apostle will say later on in John chapter 1, John the Apostle who was there, he penned these very words. Remember what he said about our Lord in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. This is Jesus. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So all creation came about because of Jesus Christ's creating work, the Son of God creating those things. And so that is going to be shown here. And so we have a bad storm. It's bad, and the boat is sinking. That's the idea of the language. The boat is going down. And these boats are not very big boats. I used to think they were kind of little ships. They're not. They're like at best maybe a 27-foot fishing boat. So it's not really huge. And it's packed with a lot of disciples. And so these boats are not going to take on a lot of water. And they're going down. And the disciples, understandably, are incredibly afraid. Incredibly afraid. I mean, many of them are no strangers to boats and storms. This isn't a, a new thing for them. It'd be new for me. You know, I don't live on the boat. I don't, I'm not used to that. So I, I get nervous when it just rocks in the bay kind of roughly. You know, I get kind of, ooh, what's going on here? But this is beyond. These are seasoned men, but it is so intense that they are fearing for their very life. And all along, there's Jesus. He's exhausted. And what is our Lord doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. That just kind of boggles the mind, doesn't it, when you think about it. All that going on, and Jesus is crashed out asleep on the stern, exhausted. And our disciples, our brethren, they fearfully chastise Jesus. They say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And we'll talk about their fears in a moment. But notice, when fear is allowed to rule our lives, we will sin against God because of our fear. When fear is allowed to rule our lives, we will sin against God in our fear. You see, we may say things in the heat of the moment that we regret, but the heat of the moment never justifies our sin, does it? A storm was not by chance. There's no such thing as that. But God has ordained it to come to pass. Why? To show the power of Christ. But also to, more importantly, I believe, to reveal the faithlessness of His disciples at this moment. You see, this was a grand teaching moment for them. They were following Jesus. But there was still a lot about themselves that they were following as well. Some of them were not even believing in him. Judas was not even believing in him. But there were others who were believing in him, but they were still sort of divided in their discipleship. They still had sort of their own dreams of what they thought the Messiah would be like. They had their own desires of what they wanted to see Jesus do. They had their own sense of justice and well-being. And God was telling them and teaching them, no, it is Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the master. You are the disciple. You are to follow the king. 
And we're often like that way too, aren't we? We kind of have our own agendas of things we want to do. Things we want to go our way. We make plans in life. And it's not wrong to make plans. We talked about that in our small group the other night. These things are not bad to make plans. But what does James always tell us? We will do such and such what? If it's the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will. We'll do this and that. And so these disciples are in a grand teaching moment. They had a mega storm. Notice secondly there was a mega Calm. Look at verses 39 to 40. Right here you see two rebukes going on. A rebuke to creation and a rebuke to the disciples. Notice first the rebuke to creation in verse 39. Mark tells us that Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves. I love this. It's almost like a language of like we do with our children. Hush, be still. Now, in my flesh, as a parent... <laughs> I'd love to tell you that I'm that kind when I'm irritated with my children and tell them to be quiet. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm often frustrated. Hush! Be strong! Be quiet! I don't think that's what the Lord did. I think he spoke, he spoke firmly but calmly and said, Hush! Be still! Because he, he is the creator. He's not going to have an argument with the wind and the waves. When the creator speaks, creation obeys. And so that word that he used, hush, it's an amazing word. It's the same word he used previously in chapter 1, verse 25. Remember when the demon was proclaiming who Jesus was. He says, I know who you are, the son of God. Have you come to torment me and put me into my place? And Jesus says, hush, come out of him. Why? Because he was not going to receive glory from demonic forces, but glory from his people proclaiming who he was. So hush and come out of that man. It's the same word that Jesus used here. Hush, spoken to the winds. Hush, be still, spoken to the waves. And what does the scriptures tell us? Immediate calm. The wording is so powerful. It even says like, if I could translate it for you a little bit this way, it's like eerie calm. You know that feeling? You ever been somewhere where it's just so quiet, it's like spooky quiet. And you're like, whoa, this is a little freaky. That's exactly what went on. Wind and waves crazy all over the place. Jesus stands up, hush, be still, and it's dead calm. The sea is as smooth as glass. And you know and I know that if we would have been there with the disciples, our jaws would have been just hanging down, amazed at what just happened. I mean, did this really just happen? There was nothing in there that the sea sort of like started to calm down. It was immediate. And then here comes the second part. (laughs) The part that really, I think if I was there, I probably would have had this look kind of like, oh boy. (laughs) Because Jesus turned and rebuked his disciples. He turned and rebuked his disciples in verse 40. And he said, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? After all that you have seen, why are you afraid? Did I not tell you earlier we were going to the other side? Why are you afraid? You might think that's a little cruel. I mean, after all, when nature gets ugly, it's frightening. 
I've been in some of those circumstances. We were in a bad uh, earthquake in California back early in our marriage. It really just shook. And if you've ever been in an earthquake, those are kind of, those are scary events. I mean, you just can't grab anything that'll stay still. And it's frightening. But the issue here is really the second part of what Jesus says. Look at what he says. It really gets to the heart of the matter. He says, how is it that you have no faith? That's the issue right there. How is it that you have no faith? Where is your faith? Why did you stop trusting me? Our Lord's words are so powerful that coupled with his actions, if the disciples were afraid before, now they're really afraid. Now they're really afraid. This is the power of Christ and his word. And it exposes us and shows us our sin and our lack of faith in him. That's what the, our Lord's power did. It really just kind of peeled back their hearts. And as he spoke those powerful words, I mean, this is why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, these very words about how our Lord works through his spirit. He says, for the word of God is a living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing us as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, how many of us have been under God's word and had that kind of conviction? It does that, doesn't it? And there is no creature hidden, the writer says, from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the power of our king. That's the power of the word of God and the spirit working on the hearts of his people. You see, when the Lord begins to deal with us, he shows us what's in our hearts, doesn't he? And often it's not very pretty. It's kind of shocking sometimes, the things that God brings to our mind and says, you know, Tim, this is sin. This is sin in your life that you're allowing to manifest and trying to condone it and make it okay. And I'm not okay with it, says God in his word. You can't get away with it. I'm being gracious with you, but I will bring you to repentance because you're my child. And I love you, but I will bring you to repentance. When God shows us our sin, He also brings grace. You see, the kind of fear the disciples were struggling with on that boat after the storm was the awareness of being in the presence of the Holy Son of God. Listen, I think we are so busy as people, if I can say this for a moment. We are so busy. It's like that book that Kevin DeYoung wrote, Crazy Busy. It's a great book. Read it. But he's right, we are so busy that we often do not stop to listen to our Lord speak to us. Maybe we don't read the Bible as we should. We're not putting time in in prayer, not because we're trying to gain our salvation. Listen, if you're doing that to somehow gain God's favor and be saved, then that's wrong. That's not the gospel. We do these things because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how he feeds us. But sometimes we can get so busy that we don't even stop to listen. These disciples were being brought to that. There was a mega 
calm that was going on, but there was also a mega fear. Look at last verse 41. The disciples amazingly say, who is this kind of person? Who is this? Who is this? I mean, the disciples now, are they're actually more afraid of the creator in the boat than the creation outside of the boat. That's the language that Mark is using. They are like afraid. Who is this guy? We knew that he was powerful. We knew that he spoke things that we loved to hear, that we could understand little by little. We saw him do amazing things and taking uh, demons out of people and, and healing people whole. But now even creation responds to him with respect and immediacy. Who is this guy? I mean, why were they like that? Well, Scripture has told us again and again, this is the natural response when human beings come into the presence of the supernatural holy God. Do you remember the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6? The year that King Uzziah died. He had a vision and the, and the seraphim were flying down. And he saw, it was like he was pilled by and he was seeing the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what is Isaiah's response? Woe is me. Flat on his face. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in big trouble because I'm in the presence of a holy God. What do I do? And then the seraphim came and touched his tongue with the coal and said, you are cleansed and new and made new. Again and again throughout scripture, every time people, human beings, are confronted with the Lord or his, his angels, they are always deathly afraid. I always wonder that, you know, when I hear people say, you know, so-and-so had a, a, was talking with Jesus the other day in person. You know, I, I, I remember you always hear that all the time. And I don't believe it. I don't believe it. One, because we already have settled revelation. That's a good academic answer for you. But secondly... Especially the one story that I heard, well, you know, this guy said he was, he was a pastor of all people to say this, but he said, you know, I was sitting there shaving in the mirror and Jesus appeared and started to talk to me. And the response of the other guy was, was well, I'm surprised you're here. Because I think you probably would have slit your throat right there in deathly fear being confronted by the Holy Lord God Almighty. Something about our God creates that in people. Why is that? It's because Christ brings His holiness to bear on our lives and it brings us to godly repentance and godly fear. You see, fear is not the issue here, but the issue is a lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples had given in to the temptation to distrust the Lord because of a frightful circumstance and they even rebuked the Lord in their sin. They rebuked Him in their fear. And God, listen, God will often use trials and tribulations to awaken and strengthen our faith in ways that times of peace cannot do. You need to know that tonight. God will use trials and tribulations in your life to awaken you in ways that when it's times of peace, you're not going to be listening. It makes James a little bit more understandable when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you're in very various trials and kinds of trials. Because God is doing a work upon your heart. And the human natural response is what? No. No. Isn't that what we always pray when we have trials? Well, our first words that will come out of our mouth is probably what? I pray this. Lord, take the trial away. Just get it out of my life. For the glory of God, get it out of my life. 
God is more glorified when he brings me through that trial. See, that's the promise that Jesus is giving us here tonight. He says, I'm with you. I will bring you through those trials and those tribulations. You see, in Christ Jesus, fear has a different purpose for it than it did when we weren't in Christ. That's where our mind needs to be changing. That's Romans 12.1, right? The renewing of the mind. We need to be looking at these opportunities as opportunities for growth, not for a fearing of those circumstances around us. Prior to Christ, we feared because of our welfare. We wanted to protect ourselves and our desires. But in Christ, fear is actually a means to drive us more towards Christ and increase our faith. Beloved, do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that? I mean, that seems so counter to common sense, but it's true. Scriptures tell us again and again, Psalm 56.3, but this is the passage I learned as a little kid because I was a very fearful little boy. My mom taught me this. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. I learned it in the King James Version, right? You know, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And I would say that over and over again. I find myself now as a 44-year-old man still saying, what time I'm afraid, Lord, I will trust in thee. Because why? Who else am I going to trust in? My family, do they love me? Yes, they do. They will love me and seek to be there, but they'll let me down somewhere along the way because they're not God. They can't supply my needs. They cannot supply what only God can supply for me. Where does your strength come from? It comes from the Lord. His promises are true and everlasting. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 12. When Paul himself was dealing with the thorn in the flesh, asking the Lord to remove it. And what did God say to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And you hear that and go, wow, Paul is pretty amazing. I'll never be like that. No, he, has, he had the Spirit of God in him just like you. All the benefits of Christ were applied to Paul, and they're applied to you and I if we're in Jesus Christ. This isn't a pipe dream. It's reality. Do you look at your weaknesses in that way? As opportunities for growth. You know, the biggest inhibitor for our growth in grace is our lack of faithfulness and trust in Christ. You see, hardship gets me out of the way and Christ front and center where he should be always. How often do we need to be reminded of that, beloved? Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Reminded of a story. Turn with me over to the Old Testament. Second Kings. You're not going to have this on the screen unless somebody can do quick work on it. But Second Kings, chapter 6. A very powerful, powerful verse, story. It's about Elisha and the chariots of fire. And I'll just give you the context. I'll only read a few pass- uh, verses here. But in this story, we have here the king of uh, Aram. Of course, the king of Aram is at war with the king of Israel. They're battling. 
But something's going on that's just driving the king of Aram out of his mind. For some reason, every plan that he comes up with, the king of Israel knows, and he's able to counter him before he could even succeed, and he's getting defeated left and right. I mean, he's like he's playing the grandmaster at the king of Israel, and he's going, what is going on? And his servants say, well, you know, here's the problem. This man by the name of Elisha, when you, king, are talking in your bed in the privacy of your chambers, Elisha hears. Not because Elisha's there, but Elisha's telling what you are thinking and saying to the king of Israel. And, of course, how is Elisha doing this? The Spirit of God is telling him. And so the king of Aram says, all right, fine. Let's gather up the army and we'll go take out Elisha, right? Get rid of the guy who's given away the plans. And so looking at verse 15. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army of horses and chariots were circling the city. This is Aram's men around Israel. And the man of God is the servant of Elisha. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's afraid. Understandable. And so Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Amazing. Supernatural intervention. And as the story goes on, they are, this king of Aram, his army, they're struck blind. They don't have a clue where they're at. And they're being led by Elisha to the doorstep of the king of Israel. And the people of Israel are looking at them and saying, Oh, yes, the enemy is at our beck and call. They're blind as bats. And they say, Shall we take the sword and strike them down now and completely obliterate this army? And Elisha's words were the most gracious words. He says, No. Instead, feed them. Feed them, take care of them, and send them on their way. Jesus Christ is better than Elisha. Jesus Christ is better than Elisha. You see, in Christ Jesus, as these disciples will learn as they continue to walk with Jesus, and as hopefully you have learned now in Jesus Christ, He opens our eyes as well. Sure, we may not see the demonic forces around. That's not what we're talking about. But He opens the eyes of our heart. It's called effectual calling, where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, makes us aware of our sin. And we detest it and we hate it. And we're willing and we're made willing and able to embrace Jesus Christ freely given to us in the gospel. We're no longer at war with God, but we're wanting to serve Him and love Him. And the Spirit of God works saving faith then into us so that we receive and rest upon Jesus alone for our salvation, saying what? You are enough. You are my Redeemer. And I'm resting in that alone. Not in anything else that I used to rest into. But only into Jesus. And we begin to experience Christ's power in us, don't we? As we begin to grow in Him. 
we see Him as our deliverer. He is the one who calms the seas of tribulation and trial. He is the one who parts the waters and delivers His people. Just as Moses stretched forth his arms and, and divided the Red Sea before them. I've got like a red carpet right in front of me. This is awesome. But he, he's stretching forth the seas and delivering his people. Jesus Christ stretched forth his arms upon the cross and delivered you and I when he said, It is finished. He is our provider. Jesus Christ is our provider. All authority has been given to Christ, as he said in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus Christ. And you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also the great shepherd of the sheep. Psalm 23. The good shepherd who will always be with his sheep and always with his people. Even when that day comes that we must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art with me, my rod and my staff. He's also our protector, is he not? Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 28, great passage. He says, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. I will not lose a single sheep at all. We have been placed into the kingdom of Christ. Placed there by our Lord Jesus Christ. By the work of His Spirit. And so I ask you tonight, where is your faith? That was the question that Jesus asked of His disciples. I ask you tonight, where is your faith? Are you placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If you're not, I urge you to do so. You don't know the numbers of your days. It's not something that we can toy with in life. It's today, as the writer of Hebrews says. If you hear him calling you, turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you are believing in Jesus Christ, keep looking to him. Your king will deliver you. Your king is with you. He is watching over you. He is still parting the Red Seas. He is still calming the stormy waters of life. He is doing amazing and mighty works. I'll leave you with this last thought from J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors. He says these very words on our text tonight. He says, quote, With the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible. No stormy passions are so strong, but that He can tame them. No temper is so rough and violent, but he can change it. No conscience is so disturbed, but he can speak peace to it and make it calm. No man ever need despair if he will only bow down his pride and come as a humbled sinner to Christ. Christ can do miracles upon his heart. May the Lord Jesus Christ cause His Word to work miracles miracles upon our hearts tonight for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word tonight. We thank You for the amazing work that it does on taking broken people and making them whole again in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may we always be submissive to you and follow you in all things. May we always make you front and center of our lives. Forgive us for those times that fear has so controlled our lives. 
do a mighty work in our hearts that we would indeed follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name.